Good morning again, Rock Hill. Have you ever wanted to learn how to do something and you didn't know how to do it, so you had to call somebody to get help? I mean, it may have been those Lego sets. As you said, I don't need the instructions, and then you start getting into them, and you go, oh, I need some help, y'all. That's just me. Okay. <laughs> well, Matthew 6 is where we're going to be today. There's this moment in time where Jesus is going to answer a question, but it's, it's interesting because if you read in Luke 11, you're going to find that Jesus is going to answer a specific question from the disciples. It's one of the only times that you see the disciples asking Jesus specifically about how to do something. The title today is How to Pray. We find in Luke 11 that the disciples will come to Jesus and they'll say, Jesus, teach us how to pray just like John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. What I love about this moment isn't the fact that Jesus gives them an answer, although he does. The interesting thing in my estimation is not that there's a question and an answer, The interesting thing to me and the most comforting thing to me is simply this, that there are others in the world that struggle with how to pray. One of the comforting things that I find in the disciples is the very fact that they had a question about something and they felt the comfortability with Jesus to come to him and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. How do we do it? Because we've watched you pray. We want to pray like you pray. Will you teach us? This is the one time the disciples ask this question. They don't ever ask Jesus how to preach. Lord, teach us how to preach like you preach. They don't come to him and say, Lord, teach us how to teach like you teach. They don't ever come and say, teach us how to smoke a brisket like we're supposed to smoke a brisket. They don't ever ask that, right? They just simply come and say, Lord, we, we want to pray like you pray. And he gives them an answer. And that answer is found in what we call the Lord's prayer or the model prayer. Now what's interesting about this is that I don't think Jesus ever gave us this prayer for us to just recite out of a routine. In fact, I think Jesus gave us this prayer for a model for us on how we ought to have a Godward focus in our praying. And we're going to see today, there's these different groups that had a strategy in which they were praying, hoping that God might approve of them and man might approve of them in the midst of their praying. And if I've learned anything in this season of of transitioning here over the last two years, coming in for five and a half months, and then all of a sudden the whole world's shutting down thanks to a number of factors, namely the Rona If there's been anything in this season that the the routines that I had set in place as even a pastor, I can no longer rely on because even for me, prayer had become routine and had failed at being a relationship. And so here Jesus is going to show us quite clearly that prayer is not to just be a routine. Prayer is not just to be one of those things that we check off of our list of things that we've done today. Prayer is to have a much magnificent more of a plan and in place of being a relationship in which you have with the living God. So one of the things that we'll see that prayer is a response to the heart of God. If you have your Bible, it's going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5. We'll read all the way through 15. If you're there, will you say word? Whenever you pray, again, assuming that prayer is happening, 
Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray in standing in the synagogues and, and they love to be on the street corners, to be seen where? By people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine or they think they'll be heard for their many words. Verse 8, don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. The first thing we see here in our text is the reality that prayer is personal. Prayer is personal. Prayer is this heart cry for God. Prayer is not something we are to do as a routine or as just what we're supposed to do as good Christians. Prayer is not to be filler between songs or fillers between a sermon and a song. Prayer is an overflow of a relationship that you have with God. It's not something that we should do. It's something that we should want to do. He says in verse five, he says, we, we must not, he says, we must not be like the hypocrites. We must not. And in all of this, we see that there's a group that he's going to identify. What do the hypocrites do? Well, they stand on the corners to be seen by others. They love for others to hear how they are praying. Growing up, we used to have a, a deacon who would, who would often pray before the offering, and they would come to the mic that was facing down here on the ground, and they would pray. But whenever they prayed, they'd pray in the King James Version they never prayed that way in any other stance, but whenever they came, they'd, they'd pray, oh, thou fatherest. Right? They wanted to be impressive to other people. They'd stand, so they, they pray to be seen. But then he talks about in verse 7, he says there's those that babble, and their babbling is like a, a heaping up of words, and it's an attempt for them to be seen by God. They, they think, they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. Jesus says to them in verse 8, don't be like them. Don't be like them. What's interesting about these two scenarios, you've got one group here who is trying to be seen by others, aiming for the approval of man. You have this other group here in verse 7, they're being hopefully seen by God so that God might approve of them. You see, prayer is a window into the backstage of a room. You think about it. You want to know what's really going on here at Rock Hill. C come backstage and you'll see, right? You, you want to see what's really happening at somebody's home. 
Let's say you go to their home and their home is immaculate. It looks like a museum. They have children. You go, do your children even live here? This place is clean. How does this work? And then you begin to talk with them and they begin to maybe give you a tour around their home. And they say, our house looks clean, but, but don't look in the closet. You say, well, I can't look in the closet. I mean, I thought I'm looking or snooping into your closets, by the way. Well, they say, don't look in the closet because if you look in the closet, you'll really see the hot mess that our house really is. The closet is the, the pre-storage before it moves to the garage, which is the pre-trash. You know, if something lands from your house to your garage, it's not likely going to make it back in. It's on its way to the dump, right? I mean, this is the reality for us that we, we hide these things. And so if you open the door, it exposes, oh, there's all the rest of your things. Prayer is, prayer is like opening that door and seeing what's really going on. Some of us have wanted to impress others with how immaculate our praying is. But if we really got honest, our prayer life is stuffed up and it's only projected out that things are really going well. The person who prays so that they can be seen and they use a ton of words to be seen or the person who uses these words so that God might see them both have the same aim. They are aiming for approval. I think one of the reasons why so many of us have struggled in life is because we've been searching for somebody else's approval rather than God's approval. We've wanted man's approval for so long. We've done some really weird things that causes us to really not truly know who we are, particularly in Christ. Praying in such a way to appear better than we are Praying in such a way that maybe God might hear us if we use the right words, both of them are a cry for approval. And let me tell you, and as I said it again, the approval of man just won't last. We're searching for others to validate us. This is what Jesus says the hypocrites do. They want the approval of man. The Gentiles Gentiles were not followers of Jesus at that time. They were not counted as being grafted in. Their prayer exposes they have a desire for God's approval. The Pharisees wanted man's approval. The Gentiles wanted God's approval. So they babble. And the, the key word there in verse 7 is that they imagine or they, they think that by using a chorus of words that God might somehow listen to them. Doing that, it's like, it's like getting up in the morning and jumping on a treadmill in Chandler and thinking that by running on that treadmill, you'll eventually arrive to Brownsboro. I can tell you from experience, that doesn't happen. Wherever you begin on a treadmill, Lord willing, you end on that treadmill. I hope I don't land somewhere else. That would be weird. But the reality is, is that when you babble with a ton of words, it's like running in motion. It will get you nowhere. You think God's going to be more approved of you by using a volume of words. You'll think God will accept you because you use more words. You think man will accept you over here, but you think God will accept you if you just use more words. But listen to me now. God will never approve of you for what you have done God approves of you for what he has already done. 
2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth, lived the life you were supposed to live, died the death you deserve to die, was buried in the tomb, marked with your name, rose from the grave three days later, and was among witnesses, among witnesses, and then ascended into heaven, and one day he's going to return. But you need to hear this today. If you've received that good news, he already approves of you. If he didn't approve of you, he wouldn't have forgiven you. Because he's forgiven you in Jesus Christ, you don't stand condemned. You stand approved by God. And the danger that we have is that so many of us begin to get our Rolodex and our receipts of all of our sins. And we start thinking that we ought to be living out of our condition rather than our position. Am I doing everything that I'm supposed to do all the time in the right way, in the right form, in the right manner? No. But that's living in your condition if I allow that to identify myself. But when my identity is in Christ, I now stand in a position that says I am his. I am his child. He is mine and I have access to him. God will never approve of you for what you've done. He stands approving of you already because of what he has done. So Jesus knows where that approval comes from. It's why in these first few verses in 6 and 8 and 9, even in the 14, he's going to use the word Father. He uses this specifically, I think. Because prayer is not a ritual or a routine. It is a relationship and it is personal. You, you have access to the Father. The Gentiles, they did not pray out of a relationship. And the Pharisees, they didn't care about a relationship. The Pharisees just wanted, and the hypocrites just wanted to look impressive to other people. And so others might praise them. The Gentiles, they did not have a basis of relationship, and so they simply were not praying out of a relationship. They were wanting God to be impressed with them. They might, he might listen to them, and that's their aim. Now, for you, it may not be the street corner, and it may not be, as in verse 6, the closet or the private room that you struggle our struggle may be that we're not praying on the street corner, but we're also not praying in the closet. Your struggle may not be that you're empty, putting up empty phrases or empty words, hoping that God might listen. Your struggle very well may be that you're not offering up any words in prayer. Oh, we have no problem showing up the fellowship, and a meal. But coming out for a prayer meeting, I've got other things to do. But my point here isn't that Jesus is just simply exposing the issue of wrong motives, although he is. The core issue that I think Jesus is getting at is that when you have a relationship with someone, you're going to want to talk with that someone. So it's not, I don't know how to pray, it's that there's something wrong with my relationship with God. Because when you have a relationship with God, you're going to want to pray. When you've been pouring, been poured in, and you have the word of God in you, and you desire to be with God, and he lives inside of you, you're going to want to spend time with him. That's why prayer is a relationship, and it's personal. 
But then he says this in verse 9. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. So now he's going to show us prayer is going to be a response. Prayer is a response. It's hard to have a conversation with God that seems to only always be one way. I've learned this early on. It said prayer is a, having a conversation with God. But how often does it feel like that when you pray, it goes to the ceiling and it goes no further? I think in part it's because I always thought I was the one initiating prayer. That I'm the one who is coming to God with all of my requests and I'm coming into his throne with confidence. Here's the list of things that I need to be handled this week, Lord. But instead, when we understand that prayer is actually a response to God, it actually changes the conversation. In fact, Eugene Peterson calls prayer this. He calls prayer answering speech. Prayer is answering speech. The speech we give is in response to what God has already said. God is the one who speaks first. God is the one who comes first. In fact, the Bible will say this. We love God because he first loved us. And when he speaks, we listen and we respond in prayer. So do I just sit in my room and just kind of just sit alone? Maybe. But I need you to know that I think God speaks through his spirit. I think God speaks through the body of Christ. I think he speaks through our church. But I think God speaks most clearly through this inerrant word of God. The very... I, there's a lot I'd like to say about the Bible here for a minute. And I gotta watch my time. But the very fact that we have this book today is evidence of God's kindness and that he desires to speak to you. My prayer life increases the more time I spend in God's word. When I'm reading the word of God, it's God speaking to me, speaking to us. This is God's word to us. You say, well, I wanna hear God out loud. Well, read the word out loud and you will. This book, the fact that it exists is the fact that Jesus, that God the Father, Jesus and the Spirit, they are speaking to us. The Bible is God's initiating conversation with you. If you ever try to separate God's word from prayer, you will always have a one-way communication. Prayer is you stop and you listen to what he has to say and you respond. Do you not see what he says in verse eight? He already knows the things you need before you ask him. So often we'll come with this laundry list of items. Here's all the things we need from you, God. Here's all the things that are going on. Here's the list. I've got a long list. And he goes, I already know those things. See, prayer is not us giving information to God as if he doesn't already know. Prayer is not us sharing with God. Have you ever prayed like this? Maybe you've prayed like this. And if, no offense to the Susies in the room. Lord, I'm praying for Susie. You know Susie, Lord. She lives down the street. She's catagoring her to our house. She's... She's going through a lot, Lord. Have you heard of what's going on with Susie, Lord? And you begin to list all the things that are going on with Susie. Poor Susie. 
And I'm not saying you can't be detailed in your request to God, but I am, I am saying God already knows. So you come to him and say, Lord, there's Susie down the street. My heart goes out to her with compassion of what she's experiencing. Lord, give me wisdom on how I can serve her. And then because you've been reading God's word and you know God's word says, treat others or do unto others as you would want done unto yourself. You go, well, then what would I want to be done to me in the middle of a great heartache? This is what I would want done. And so you, you go and you serve and you love on Susie in that way. It's not you coming to God and giving him all the info or your long list of things that need to be done. It's you responding to his word. So he says in verse nine, Father in heaven. Growing up, we memorized this, of course, in a different translation. It was hallowed be your name. And I, I can't ever for the life of me remember a time where I used hallowed in a sentence outside of the Lord's prayer. I just can't remember it. But the idea is and. Behind a name, even in the, in the, in the, in the Bible time, was, was a name had significant. It, it recognized someone's character and their identity. And he says here, we want your name, Father, to be kept, to be honored, to be prized. When you read God's word, you can't help but see that it's not your name that needs to be prized. It's not your spouse's name that needs to be prized. It's not a church's name that needs to be prized. It's Jesus' name that needs to be prized. It's the name of God, the, the holy God who loves us and cares for us. It's him that we want to see proclaimed and the nations to be known with his name. We're to read God's word and it should drive us to want his name to, to be prized and to be praised. Oh, that our nation would be a nation that has the name of Jesus nearby. Oh, that our world will not just be a world that's in conflict and dis distrust. It would be a world that is, has the name of Jesus that is hallowed or honored as holy. He says in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is an eschatological prayer. It's an end time, future prayer. Lord, let your kingdom Come, it's the same thing that the church will cry out at the, or the people will cry out at the end of the, the book of Revelation. He, they say, Lord, come quickly soon, come. And he says, I am coming soon. It's this kingdom mindset. We, we learned in the Sermon on the Mount earlier that, that Jesus says, my, my kingdom is present. The problem is right now, it's just not totally fulfilled. One day, Jesus will return and he will establish his kingdom and this request is just simply, God, as it is in heaven, may it be here on earth. Now, how does God do this? How does he establish his kingdom? He, he does this by his will being done. You wake up on a day and say, God, it's not, it's not my day, it's your day. God, I want to accomplish your will today. And that doesn't mean you just sit there and just sit on your bed and wait, okay, I'm just going to wait till your will is revealed. No, he's made clear what his will is. He's made clear of our missionary mandate. He's made clear the things that he has called us to do. But we're asking him, God, we want not our will to be done because we are going to want our will to be done every moment of the day. But God, I want your will to be done. I don't want to rival you. I don't want to be at war with you. I want to do what you've called me to do. So when you pray, you're praying for his name to be honored. You're also praying for his kingdom to come quickly. In fact, I've phrase this in recent days, just saying, God, whatever you, all the things that you've started, would, would you finish? I want to see you finish those things. God, accomplish 
your will. He says in verse 11 and 12, give us today our daily bread. In verse 12, forgive us our debts as we've also have forgiven our debtors. What he's saying here is that you need provision, that there's physical provision, but there's also spiritual provision that you need. You need your physical needs met. You think you're providing them on your own. You need him to provide them for you. Spiritually, you need provision. You need his forgiveness. Verse 13, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What he's saying is that you realize how seductive the world is, how tempting the fleeting world is. I mean, it's the same way when our children get candy and they say, may I have this? And you say, no, and they lose it. I mean, they like tears, like we have ruined their lives. But you and I both know that candy late at night is not good for them. It's good for us, but it's good, it's bad for them, right? We realize that that compressed and sugar is just, will wreak havoc on their bedtime. And there's not enough melatonin in the nation that could solve it. The world is just so seductive. And I'm not talking about sensual things. I'm just even talking about things that, that are not evil. They're just things. And we get so invested into them. It might be the news. It's so seductive. It might be some national story that you're following. Like, I'm all in on this story. It's so seductive. It might be some TV show. You go, I'm all in on this story. I'm all in on this narrative. But then it begins to portray things that you, weren't, you didn't see coming. And you have to say, I'm going to press against those things. Because those things are so seductive. Oh, God. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Part of that prayer is a, a humbling prayer to say, I'm not as savvy and not as spiritual as I maybe think that I am. I'm not as strong as I've portrayed myself to be. See, this prayer is recognizing our dependence on God. It's a response to him. Someone once asked, do I need Jesus to go to heaven? And the answer is yes. You also need Jesus to go to Walmart, to raise your kids, to go to lunch, to eat your food, to put your shoes on. You, you need Jesus for everything. But you think, well, I just need him to get into heaven, right? Well, you, well, yeah, but you also need him for a whole bevy of other things that you don't even realize. Lastly, and I've got I've to book it. Prayer is put into practice. Prayer is put into practice. Prayer is personal. Prayer, prayer is a response, but prayer is always put into practice. Notice what he says. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. When you pray, obedience always follows. When you've allowed the word of God to be in your life, God has spoken to you, and then you begin to respond to him, you can't help but have that become an overflow of your life. As God has forgiven us, so we forgive other people. Instead of doing what we might even have a right to by holding a grudge against somebody, we release that and forgive them. 
those that have hurt or offended us, we don't hold it against them, we forgive them. We don't hold them hostage in our hearts and in our minds, we forgive them. We reject the bitterness, we reject the apathy, we reject the anger, and we allow ourselves to display the heart of God who has forgiven us. But let me just tell you this, verse 15 is heavy. If you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. This is not a conditional thing. It's just a revealing thing. That if you have and are unable to forgive someone else, it very well may identify and indicate in your life that you have never been truly forgiven by God. Because when you understand the grace of God, you can't help but be grace-filled and grace-giving you can't say, I can't forgive them for this. This is all. No, no. When you've been transformed by Jesus, it changes the paradigm of your life. There is a relationship between having forgiveness from God and being able to extend forgiveness to those who have hurt you even the most. The point is that God's forgiveness is not conditional. The point is bigger. The point is that God changes us, and because God changes us, it changes how we relate to other people. It's prayer put into practice. And if forgiveness isn't present in your life, you may not be saved. When we receive grace, we respond by giving grace. When our lives of intimate prayer, personal prayer, God changes us, he transforms us, and in turn, it begins to change our relationships around us. So prayer is personal, it's relational, we, it's how we have access to God. Prayer is a response, we read his word, transforms our hearts, we can't help but respond to him. And prayer is always, always put into practice. Now if you're a follower of Jesus here today, here's the invitation for you. You, you might have begun to do a little bit of an inventory of your prayer life. I know I have the last few weeks has been preparing for this. I begin to realize that maybe my prayer life isn't where I would like it to be. You, you, you know what the response for you today is? If you feel like as a follower of Jesus, my prayer life is not where I'd like it to be. Your response is simply, watch this, to pray. <laughs> to take a moment and go, Lord, I, I confess. I've not been... When I've been communicating with you, it's been one way. I, I've just been telling you all the things I need today. I've not spent time digesting your word and responding to you. you. You just repent. You own it today. If you're here today and you have never had or begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, for you, it's the same. You do need to pray. The word of God has been presented to you. And maybe... Today, God has spoken to you to say, I desire a relationship with you. And as a person who is far from God, your response then is to repent and say, I admit I have sinned. I believe that only through Jesus I can be saved. And I want to confess him as Lord and Savior today. I want to come to the place where I pray and receive Jesus as Lord. And you may be sitting here today and go, man, my prayer life is going great. I am a follower of Jesus. And so part of your response then is to, to sing. But today, we want to give you a little bit of space to be able to pray. To be able to call out to God. Because he cares for you. 
You know, in life, it's easy to run off and do other things because you think that they're more important. But let me just tell you, there's nothing more important for you today than to stop here and now and be honest with God. He already knows what you need before you ask. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. And Lord, there may be some in this room that are struggling to make amends with where they've been and where you're calling them to go. Father, would you be so kind to us to give us some space even this morning to respond to you in prayer but also in song. Lord, if there are those in this room that do not know you, may they, may they come being honest with themselves but ultimately honest with you. Confess and believe today. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to respond in Christ's name.